All right. Um, good evening and uh, welcome once again to uh, discipleship class. We are uh, still a little hubbub in the room and got some other folks that are supposed to be joining us in a few minutes. So, But um, we just want to go ahead and welcome our folks online. And I appreciate everybody online kind of being patient with us. Um, we've had some schedule changes with folks that have been uh, a part of the first several classes. And so uh, they're getting here a little later than, than five. And we'll probably still have some more folks join us uh, as, as of... Uh, was it 10 after almost now so but anyway appreciate all you folks joining us online being patient uh, with us and uh, we're looking forward to the class uh, tonight so um, I'm fairly confident with this title that we'll be able to get to to these things uh, the t t title for tonight's class generation Christ and a nation of priests and that may seem like an odd title uh, until you um, hear uh, what it's all about. So, but anyway, let's, uh, let's pray and, and we'll get started. Father, you're so good to us and you love us so much. And Father, we are, we are still discovering and, and I guess in truth, Father, have yet to even scratch the surface of all that you've done for us, all that you've freely given to us. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, men and women who are committed to you, uh, Lord, not just for what uh, they can benefit from a relationship with you, Father, but they're committed to you to be equipped to be able to help other people and serve other people and, and work and, and be effective in, in, in their lives for your glory, Father. So as we come before you, we acknowledge the Holy Spirit as our teacher tonight. He's the one who leads us and guides us into all truth. Thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention, Lord, to receive from you what you would have to pour into us tonight. And we, we receive it now by faith in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, let's, uh, let's begin with just a little bit of review and, uh, from last week. Uh, we said that discipleship is the bridge that carries you from, from salvation to the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. And so in the very first class, we, we looked at um, you know, several verses that speak of God knowing you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Uh, knowing you before the foundations of the world, giving you purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. Um, so Father's known you for a long time. Amen. And, you know, if, if you think about, you know, the longer you know somebody, the closer you, you get to that person, the more uh, you, you love that person. Um, if, if, uh, if somebody that you don't know, uh, never met, passes away, you know, if you've got a heart for them or that family, you may pray for them. It may affect you, you know, in some small degree versus somebody who's very close to you, right? Um, and, and someone that you know and love. You, 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 see what, you see what I'm talking about? So and our Father has that kind of history with you. You know, we, you may have only come to know the Lord, you know, three weeks ago. He's known you for thousands of years, right? I mean, he, you are very special, very near, very, very dear uh, to Him. And so He has a purpose for your life. He has a destiny for your existence, okay? And uh, discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation to the fulfillment of that purpose and God-given destiny. Now, we made a statement last week that's, that's very important. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, all right? Now, let me, um, praise God, let We'll get to that in a minute. Let me, let me do this. John 8 and 14, and this is from the Passion Translation. John 8 and 14. 
I don't think we've looked at this verse yet, all right? Matter of fact, I'm about positive we have not. So from the Passion Translation, John 8 and 14, Jesus responded, Just because I'm the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid. For I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. But you Pharisees have no idea about what I'm saying. Now, this particular verse is part of, uh, obviously, the 8th chapter of John, and there's a lot happening in John, the 8th chapter. And, and one of the things that we see is that the Pharisees are, are, are really, you know, at least trying to pl- apply a whole lot of pressure, uh, you know, telling Jesus that he doesn't know what he's talking about, nobody else is saying what he's saying. And in, in their day, you studied under reputable teachers and then when you would publicly teach, you would teach in their name. So if you've read, like in the New Testament, this uh, gentleman named Gamaliel, um, Paul, by the way, um, studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And so as a Pharisee, before Paul you know, became a Christian, before he was converted, uh, if he taught and spoke publicly, he would have done so um, in the name or under the authority, so to speak, of Gamaliel. Well, you know, Jesus, you know, they're like this uneducated carpenter from Nazareth. Who does he think he is? Uh, you know, um, and he was saying all of these new and different things. And they were basically accusing him of being wrong about what he was saying because he was the only one saying it. Well, Jesus said, you know, my father makes one and I make two. Um, but uh, this was what Jesus offered to, uh, to verify or give credit to what he was saying. He said, you know, what I'm saying uh, uh, is not invalid, and this is why. He said, I know who I am, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going, all right? I know who I am, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. So Jesus knew his origin, he knew his identity, and he knew his purpose, Okay. <laughs> He, he knew his origin, he knew his identity, and he knew his purpose, all right? And, and you know, when we talk about, you know, life on planet Earth and living our best life and fulfilling our purpose and destiny, um, how do we ever expect to live the life God created us to live if we never understand our origin, if we never know our identity, and if we, and if we never uh, even know, much less be involved in uh, fulfilling our purpose, so as we continue to you know, understand what discipleship is about, discipleship is learning and living uh, the answers to these three questions. And the three questions uh, that we're talking about, why am I, who am I, and what am I? Jesus knew what he was. He knew where he came from, right? He, he knew who he was, and he knew why he was. He understood his origin, he understood his identity, and he understood his purpose. Now... Let me, um, and by the way, if I'd have known y'all was coming, I would have delayed a few more minutes. I figured some more folks were coming, so welcome. Uh, we just did a little bit of review from last week and just kind of jumping into some new stuff here. So uh, thank you, ladies, for, uh, for being here. And um, we may start trying to just start at 515, but um, anyway, good things coming. Um, I didn't put that slide up on uh, the screen for those watching online. Now, in future classes, we're going to dive into the answers to these three questions extensively, right? And what I have learned both in my own life and also in having privilege and honor of working with other people to help them in in their lives, serve other people, is that 
we've got to know who we are before we will ever know why we are. Identity unlocks destiny. If you don't know who you are in Christ, your true purpose in life will be more grand than you could ever comprehend, right? But we also see there's a question that has to be answered before that. We've got to know what we are to have any kind of foundation in place for uh, who we are, and then who we are unlocks why we are. Again, we will get into that in great detail in future classes. But when we talk about the importance of our purpose, the importance of our purpose, you know, this comes back to this God-given destiny. This, this goes back to the, the reason that, that we exist. And I'm not trying to, um, you know, just minimize this to, to one thing, okay? But when we say every born-again believer has been, you know, called into and, and, and you know, do the work of the ministry, um, this is something that, that we've been created for, it's something that we've been recreated in Christ Jesus for. And I'll show you uh, the answers uh, to some of this and, and the backing to some of this um, in uh, the, uh, the Scriptures. Now, um, this is a verse we've looked at multiple times. I'll stick it back up uh, and look at it again. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It says, uh, God has saved us and He's called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So you were given purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. A purpose for your life. Grace means unearned, undeserved <laughs> gifts, favor. So you were given purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. So we see that the gifts that a person has are clues to the purpose uh, a person has. Uh, in other words, some of you are gifted artistically. Some of you are gifted musically. Some of you are gifted administratively. Some of you are gifted speakers. Some of you are gifted writers. You know, all, all these different areas. Some of you can just look at something and know how to fix it. You know, it, it was, all of these things are, are, are hardwired into us, so to speak, um, by God. Now, you know, I use my nephew Will as an example. He picked up a guitar one day and could play it, all right? But then I also watched him practice until his fingers bled. So, in other words, just because we're gifted in, in an area, that doesn't give us an, an excuse to not further develop that gift and, and, and obviously, uh, you know, offer that gift to the Lord and, and, and ask Him to anoint it and use it for His purposes and for His glory. But, you know, the, what you are, you know, and, and, and how it is that God made you and some of the unique things about you are all clues to the purpose for which you were created. And so this, this comes to, I think, as a simple question. Maybe I've already given you the answer to it. But I want you to think about it for a moment. Which came first, you or your purpose? And, of course, the answer is your purpose came first. God gave you purpose in Christ Jesus before time began, before you were formed in your mother's belly, before you were born and, and lived here uh, in, in this earth's atmosphere, which means you were created in light of that purpose. How silly would it have been for God to give you a purpose in life, but then create you in a way that you could never fulfill it? You know, let's say that your, your purpose is, is to lead God's people in praise and worship, but uh, you can't carry a tune in a bucket. 
Or you have a hard time playing a radio. You, you, are you following what I'm saying? So, in, in other words, the, the, the purpose was, was established first, and then God created you in light of that purpose, and grace means you've been given everything that you will ever need to fulfill that purpose. Now, let's, um, let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, perhaps you are uh, familiar with these verses as they relate to salvation. Philippians, I'm sorry, Philippians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Um, for we are His workmanship. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think about what he's saying right there, Okay. Um, some of my favorite classes, and I got a lot of favorites of everything, okay? Some of my favorite classes are when we really dig into uh, what it means to be born again, and we really look in depth at the, the new birth, okay? And what we see is that through the new birth, Jesus said you must be born again, is that through the new birth, we were created again, okay? We were born a second time of, an, of a different seed, and through that new birth, Father God put a new life and a new nature, His divine nature, inside of us. And so this uh, verse 10, this is what he's referring to. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. But notice we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Or we could say it another way. Because we have been recreated or created again in Christ Jesus, we now have the ability to do the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember what we see in Romans. Um, well, if we're, for that matter, let's go all the way back to the Old Testament. When God created mankind, He crowned us with glory, right? Glory is your origin. Glory is your destiny. Amen. He crowned us with glory, but our sin caused us to fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we, we could not uh, accomplish what it is that God created us to accomplish, amen, uh, spiritually dead and separated from Him. So when we were created again in Christ Jesus, we were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me just remind you, this is not just talking to the pastor or the, or the missionary. This is, this is speaking to every born-again believer. Every person who has been created again in Christ Jesus is His workmanship. Amen. Uh, this word workmanship, if you go back to the original language, it's the Greek word poema, okay? Anybody want to take a wild guess as the English word that we get from poema, right? The word poem, the word poem. And so if you think about the difference between just writing something versus writing a poem, a poem involves a lot more uh, intentionality, a lot more deliberation, right? There's, there's, there's meter to poem. There's, there's rhythm to poem. Obviously, there's, you know, I, my favorite poems are the ones that rhyme, amen? <laughs> but, but again, to, to find words that actually rhyme with one another requires a tremendous amount of thought as opposed to just randomly writing something down on a page. So this gives us insight into what it means for us to be His workmanship, um, we could say handcrafted uh, with care and with intentional uh, uh, effort and deliberation. All right. Now, let's, uh, let's skip over to uh, chapter 3 in Ephesians, and uh, this time verse number 8. Paul says, To me, 
who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden uh, in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, to the intent. So when we talk about intent, we're talking about what God intended. Do you understand the concept of intent? It's what you meant to do. Sometimes we don't always do what we intend to do. Sometimes the way we say things, they don't come out the way we intended them to sound. Or maybe you've offended somebody or been offended by somebody who, for whatever reason, did not effectively communicate what they really intended. So he's saying that all of this has been done to the intent that now... Now, as opposed to before Christ, before men and women could be born again, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the pastor. Is that what it says? No, that it might be made known by the church, the church which is his body, the body of Christ, the individual members of the body of Christ, that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly, in the heavenly places, according to here it is again, the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when he says to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, what is he talking about there? The principalities and powers in the heavenly places are referring to demonic spirits. We'll have a class called Three Heavens, and heavens plural, amen? Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. We think of heaven being singular. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's three heavens, okay? And the third heaven being where the throne of God is. But in the lower atmosphere or the first heaven that's around this planet, that's where Satan actually tries to operate. He tries to control what goes on on this planet by controlling the atmosphere over this planet. Jesus identified him as the prince of the power of the air, okay? And so he's saying, think about what, it, what he's talking about here, the manifold wisdom of God. Remember, the wisdom of God is God's way of producing results. It's God's ways of, of, of making a difference or, or producing um, uh, you know, results in a person's life. And, and results is a, is a broad blanketed term here. But he's saying that God wants to make his wisdom known by the church to the demonic spirits in the lower atmosphere trying to control what's going on on this earth. Now let's go back to a class maybe two classes ago. Jesus sends out the 70. They come back rejoicing because they laid their hands on sick people and sick people were healed. They cast out demons. And they were so excited about that. And the Bible says that Jesus, among other things, rejoiced in spirit. What does that mean? It's, 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 a, it's a fairly simple word until you look beneath the surface at what it really means for him to rejoice in spirit. It literally means that he jumped up in the air and spun around. He, he cut a jig. I mean, Jesus was beside himself with excitement, dancing, celebrating, uh, high fives all around. That's maybe how we would think of that, okay? All right, so do you see how this ties in? What was happening? Human beings on planet Earth were proving the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in the air. In other words, they were taking the power of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of God, the faith of God, all of these things, the love of God, the compassion of God, and they were undoing Satan's works on this planet. And, and it was being proven. You see, how do I say this? It, Jesus became a man to take back from the devil what Adam turned over to him. It's very important that you understand that. Okay, who, who was put in charge of this planet? 
Adam was put in charge of this planet. Adam bowed his knee to God's enemy. He was deceived and, and he, he uh, committed high treason, if you will. He turned over the authority that was given to him to the devil. And we'll look at this when we do our class on authority, okay? He turned all that over to the, to the, to the enemy. Jesus came to take it back. But he came to take it back as a man, okay? Why is that so important? He could have taken it back as the Son of God. But if he had taken it back as the Son of God, that would have left you and me out of the equation. But because he took it back as a man, now, as those who are in Christ Jesus, we have that same authority available to us to operate and to, to the intent. So why did God do all these things? The salvation and all these things that we're talking about. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. By the church, not just by the specially appointed, specially anointed evangelist who comes through your city you know, three times a year, once in a generation, and has the anointing of God upon him to, to, to do these kinds of things. Okay, No, by the church, by people um, going to work, uh, going to the grocery store, in their homes, uh, in their neighborhoods, in their communities. God's desire... These works, the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see how all this is related and tied together, connected together? I get stirred up about it if y'all hadn't figured this out by now. Okay? Amen? I'm, I'm not quite able to do the jump up in the air and the 360 thing, but praise God. All right. Now, so now, like right now, we're not waiting on God, okay? Made known by the church, that's you and me, to the fallen angels according to the eternal purpose, according to the eternal purpose. All right, now, here is a, uh, here's a long list. I used to go through every one of these verses. It, it's, it, it just takes a long time, so I'm not going to do that. But this is what we see in Scripture, okay, is that you were created for ministry. And when we talk about ministry, we're, we're talking about acts of service. We're talking about things that we do on God's behalf for God and for other people. And those acts of service can include things like putting on a backpack blower and blowing off the church parking lot. And it can include uh, laying your hands on sick people and sick people being healed and demons being cast out. Okay. So according to the scriptures, you've been created for ministry and then, of course, recreated in Christ Jesus for ministry. Um, your salvation, you've been saved for ministry, um, you've been called to ministry, gifted for ministry. Do you see how we could spend a class and a half just looking at all these different verses? Um, you've been authorized for ministry. I think that's really important that we understand that. Um, authorized. Uh, we, it's, the concept is delegated authority. Uh, if a 105-pound um, a uh, female police officer steps out uh, into a busy highway and holds up her hand. Um, traffic stops not because she's so big and strong that if the car doesn't stop, she's going to sling it off the road. Traffic stops because she has authority delegated to her. The badge that she wears on her uniform uh, represents the government that she's been authorized. You, you follow what I'm saying? That's what we mean by authorized for ministry. Uh, prepared for ministry. Prepared for ministry. That's a huge part of what discipleship uh, is about. It's, it's being more prepared to be more effective in what God's called us to do. How about this one? We've been commanded to minister. We've been commanded to minister. And the Bible's very clear about this last one, that we will one day be rewarded according to ministry. 
We will be rewarded according to ministry. Now, this is something you're going to hear me say early and often. Your right standing before God in the eyes of God is not based upon what you do. It's not based upon works. It's based upon what's been done for you. So your righteousness, your right standing with God is not based upon works. But listen to me, please. How you will be rewarded one day is based upon works. It is based upon what you do and the heart and attitude with which you do it. Okay? You still with me? Now, as these classes have developed over the years, um, I have uh, really, this is the, the only um, statistics or surveys that, that have uh, made the cut, so to speak, um, over uh, all these years. Um, but I, don't, I, I hope, how do I say this? I, remember, this is year 19, okay? And this survey actually predates discipleship class, okay? And uh, I wish I could tell you from my own experience that this has gotten better, um, I'm, I'm sad to tell you that it's that if anything has gotten it's gotten worse. Okay, and so here's here's what um, surveys reveal. Uh, if you would like to know, okay, only 10% of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. Remember what I told you that you know the 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 pastor, the teacher, the uh, apostle, the uh, prophet, and the evangelist. Those five areas of, of ministry, calling, and gifting, they are to serve and minister to the rest of the body of, of Christ to produce a lot of things. And one of those is to equip the rest of the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. Okay? And so the uh, overwhelming majority of the potential workforce, so to speak, that we have uh, as, as far as born-again men and women on planet Earth, um, well, again, this particular survey just involved American church members, but again, only 10% of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. Now, this could very well be uh, an indictment on um, my leadership, uh, but I tell you right now, it's a lot less than that at Heritage Christian Center. Hope it's not that way other places, all right? Now, 50% say they have no interest in serving in ministry. So nearly half's like, don't even bug me with it, don't even ask me, okay? All right. But then here's the other one. 40% express an interest in serving in ministry, but say they have never been asked or do not know how. All right. So God help us, amen? <laughs> but that's not you. You wouldn't be here on a on a Wednesday at five, if that was uh, if that was you, okay. Let me let me read a verse to you. The last part of this verse is probably going to be familiar to to some of you, if not a lot of you. Um, and it, and it goes this way: it's from Joshua twenty four and fifteen. And it seems evil, uh, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve: whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, come on now, we will serve the Lord, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, okay? 
Uh, my mom and dad had, had a plaque on the, on the house that I grew up in, front door, right? Anybody ever seen that? Any, any of your aunts or grandparents, anybody ever cross-stitched that one? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? Home Interiors made, you know, I don't know how much money Home Interiors made off that one, right? Um, and so, again, it's, it's very popular. That's why I said a lot of folks um, maybe are familiar with or recognize that verse. But here's the thing, and I hope I'm not coming on too strong for you this evening, okay? But um, attending church is not the same as serving God. And I, I, I kind of think that's where um, we've come to, uh, at least here in the United States, is that we view church attendance as serving God. As we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve God. Well, you do understand, like, serving God means actually doing something for him right are you with me still amen okay so um, you know one of the things that that um we covered on sunday morning here at heritage is that um you know obviously the the overarching principle is that i'm always to speak the truth in love but um part of my uh part of my assignment as a servant leader in the body of christ is to make people at least a little bit uncomfortable you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, but again, um, you know, uh, the best day to have planted a, an oak tree was 20 years ago, and the second best day to do it is today. Amen? And so, um, but, you know, if we're going to serve the Lord, let's serve Him. Amen? And let's find out what we're called and gifted to do, and then let's be about doing it. Amen? And if you're interested in opportunities to serve the Lord, okay, and I don't just mean here at Heritage because a lot of, lot of you that are part of this class are not a part of this church, but um, there are lots of opportunities um, uh, for, uh, you know, there's a ministry right now, Unbound Grace, that um, is partnering with the Foundry uh, to provide mentors for our uh, uh, men and women once they go into the non-residential portion of the program. Uh, where, you know, you just establish a, a, a friendship, a relationship with somebody, maybe carry them to, to lunch or dinner or whatever, or phone calls. Again, there's all kinds of opportunities out there, if, and I'm just putting, putting that out. If you're interested in, um, in some uh, opportunity to serve the Lord, and I'm not just trying to recruit for the church that I pastor, um, there are lots of, for that matter, the foundry. Um, there's opportunities to, to volunteer and serve at the foundry. Now, um, part of our title uh, for the class tonight is A Nation of Priests. A Nation of Priests. And what we see in Scripture is that our Heavenly Father, God, okay, let's just, let's just get it straight, okay, God the Father, um, He has always had a desire in His heart to have on the earth a nation of priests. Now, in the Old Testament, we see three different ministry offices. We see um, the office of priest, we see the office of prophet, and we see the office of king. So king, priest, and prophet. And we see that the different men and or women, even on some occasions in the, in the Old Testament, women um, would be in and serve in these offices. And with that office came a measure or a portion of God's Spirit poured on that person, empowering that person to function in that ministry office. Okay, you still with me? So, for example, um, we, see in, we see it more clearly in King David than in Moses, but Moses operated 
uh, as king, priest, and prophet, but then David is the, is, the, is the shining example in the Old Testament of someone who served in all three of, of these offices. Now, remember when Saul, uh, when he tried to, to, to operate as a priest to make the sacrifice, he got in trouble for that, all right? And, and part of that has to do with, remember, Jesus is the son of David, which means Jesus obviously is the fulfillment of all of these ministry offices. Where the people in the Old Testament who functioned in these ministry offices had a portion or a measure of God's Spirit upon them, anointing them, enabling them, empowering them to operate in those offices. The Bible says clearly of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was given to Him without measure. Amen. Without measure. All right. Now, let's talk for a minute about it. A prophet... A prophet would speak to the people on God's behalf. I'm, obviously, there was a lot more that they did, but I'm just trying to make this simple for you. A prophet would, would get a word from God and would speak that word to uh, God's people on behalf of God. And God, as He does in the New Testament, would confirm His word by signs and wonders, miracles performed by the prophets so that the people would have no doubt that this man is speaking for God because, you know, he just uh, raised a little boy from the dead or, or what have you. Okay, now, a priest reversed that order. A priest would go before God on behalf of the people, uh, would represent the people uh, uh, to God on the people's behalf. And then a king, uh, a, a king obviously led and oversaw God's people, but when it comes to speaking, a king was anointed by God to make decrees and establish things in the earth on behalf of God. So you have king, priest, and prophet. Now, Exodus chapter 19, I want you to see this for a moment, because we're talking about a nation of priests, okay? Exodus 19 and uh, verse number 3. It says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, somebody say, if you will. Right? See, if you will. This is what God wants, but he's not going to make anybody. He's not going to force him. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be um, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. All right? So what do we, uh, what do we see here? Come on in, guys. Thank you all for your uh, effort and diligence to, uh, to be here. Um, amen. I know if you had it your way, you'd been here a few minutes ago. So thank you all. Uh, praise God. We're in, well, it's on the screen. We're in Exodus 19, and we're talking about a nation of priests. Okay. Now, to kind of to help orient you to what's going on here, um, God has brought... The nation of Israel, obviously these are Hebrew people, Jewish people. God has delivered them supernaturally from slavery in Egypt. And, and they are a great people. In other words, a, a large number of people. And God speaks to them through Moses. And he says that, um, you know, 
all the earth is mine. What is he saying there, all the earth is mine? All the earth is mine in the sense that all the peoples of the earth are mine. I know that you have to look closely to see it, but God was not only interested in the Jewish people in the Old Testament. He wanted to see other people, uh, non-Jewish people, uh, come to, to know Him and, and, and to experience Him. So when He says, all the earth is mine, He's saying not just the Jewish people, but all peoples of the earth are mine. And He says that if you'll obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be a special treasure to Me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right? So God's desire was for His special people, Israel, to become a nation of priests who would then serve as a priesthood for other people groups on planet earth. Are you seeing this? He wanted a nation of priests who would intercede, who, who would uh, you know, go and, and reach other people and then help bring those people, be that uh, uh, you know, intermediary, so to speak, uh, to help bridge the gap that separated people from God. And so he's asking the entire nation of Israel uh, if they will uh, serve in the role of a nation of priests and uh, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, to, um, to the rest of the world. Now, some of you are hearing this and you're like, well, wait a second, Pastor Mark, I, I don't remember that happening in the, in the Old Testament. Well, guess what? <laughs> it's because it didn't. They said no. They said no thank you. As a matter of fact, at one point, they even tell, because God speaks directly to them at one point, and they tell Moses, hey, look, look, Moses, you tell God, not, that freaks us out when he talks to us like that. Just, you know, you talk to him, and if there's anything that you think we need to know, um, then you pass it along. Right? I mean, this is... Do you see what God desired to have for these people? He wanted to be able to communicate with them. He wanted to, to, to be able to be in their midst and, 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 and to uh, you know, love them and be loved by them. But they said, no, thank you. Uh, we're not really interested in that, God. We didn't sign up for all that. And so what winds up happening is God takes one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe that descended from Levi, and it was the Levites that became a priests, a, a, a tribe of priests for the remaining 11 tribes of Israel. So this is where if you've ever heard the, like the book of Leviticus or the Levitical priesthood, these are the uh, Jewish uh, uh, descendants of Levi uh, who became priests for um, the rest of, of Israel. Okay, so... But keep in mind now, God's still got this thing in his heart and mind. His intent, right, is to have a nation of priests who uh, will, um, you know, help other people uh, come to him and, and ultimately know him. All right. Now, I want you to go with me. Keep that thought because we're, we're going to kind of come back around to it. Now, let's go to Isaiah 53. And if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll give you a moment. Um, Isaiah uh, 53, and we'll begin at verse number 1. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 12. So we're going to look at quite a few verses here. Um, we, we hopefully will not have, you know, take the time to comment on every one of them, but there's, uh, you know, something here that I think you, you know, need to really see and, and maybe you want to highlight even in your, in your Bible, okay? 
If you're familiar with, with Isaiah 53, you know that this is um, a prophecy uh, you know, of Jesus and, and what he will one day come and do and, and be. Okay? And it's uh, extremely accurate in, in its description of, of what Jesus endured. Uh, and of course, we see that it was foretold by the prophets. So um, let's begin at verse number one. He says with a question, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, I'm going to come back across on the uh, uh, live stream for a moment. This, these two questions are extremely important for us, if, you know, doctrinally speaking, uh, you know, to this day. Um, because the two questions are related. He's asking, you know, who has believed our report? Words, who, who has believed what we have said about these things? And then he asks, asks the next question, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, what he's saying here is the arm of the Lord is revealed to those who believe the report of the Lord. And to the one who doesn't believe the report of the Lord, they will never see the arm of the Lord revealed on their behalf. The old uh, saying, I'll believe it when I see it, doesn't work that way. You believe it with God, you believe it first, and then you see it. So to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To those who have believed the report of the Lord. Those who believe what it is that God has to say to them and, and, and about you know, the things that He desires from them and for them. Okay, Alright, so let's keep going. For He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Speaking of Jesus now, verse 3. He, I'm going to come back across here for a moment, all right? <clears throat> Let me go back to that. There's no beauty that we should desire him. Remember where we started, for those of you who were here, 2 Corinthians um, 5, where he, he talks about, um, I'm sitting here trying to remember if we've looked at 2 Corinthians 5 yet. We may not have, but anyway, let me, it's okay, whether we have or not. <laughs> not yet? Somebody say not yet. Okay. I don't mean tonight. I mean like in one of the first two classes. All right. The Bible says for, that, that from this point forward, we will regard no man according to his outward appearance. Okay. And, and the reason for that is he says, remember, we knew Jesus according to his outward appearance, but now we know him thus no longer. What is he saying? He's like, man, Jesus looked like just like everybody else, but there was so much more to him than met the eye. If you just looked at him outwardly, there was really nothing about his outward appearance that revealed he was the Son of God in the flesh, the, you know, the eternal, uncreated Son of God who came to dwell among us in the flesh. And so he says in the same way that the outward appearance didn't tell the whole story about Jesus, he's saying that the outward appearance doesn't tell the whole story about us. And that's why we shouldn't judge people according to their outward appearance. Because the inward man, right, is, uh, is where the new birth realities have been deposited. So this is what he's talking about here. There's no beauty that we should desire him. It doesn't, it doesn't mean Jesus, you know, was uh, like ugly or something like that. He's just saying that, that there was nothing unique about his outward appearance, at least initially, um, that would have caused him to stand out from anybody else. Okay, you may know this already. Jesus was a very popular, common name um, in Jesus' day. Uh, you know, we, we kind of respect that now. 
Um, but, uh, you know, in, in those days, you know, it was as popular as John or Mark or Joe or, or Sue or, or what have you. Okay. Now, let's keep going. Uh, verse number three. Speaking of Jesus again, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We did not value him properly. Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Okay, so I'll come back to that in just a moment. When he says we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, the, the, the religious leaders of the day believed that they were doing the will of God by torturing Jesus and beating him almost to death and then having him nailed to a cross. In other words, the popular opinion was Jesus got what he had coming, you know, that he deserved this and that this was actually the hand of God that was uh, doing these things uh, and behind these things uh, as far as he is concerned. Now, here I think because religion loves to, uh, uh, to, to take what the Bible clearly says and, and twist it and water it down. Remember one of our uh, overarching principles that we keep going back to time and time again, right? If your life experience is not matching something that you see in the Scriptures, do not water the Scriptures down, do not alter the Scriptures, or try to come up with some crazy explanation as to why that's the case so that the Scriptures will line up with your experience, if your experience is not lining up with something you find in the Scriptures, let the Scriptures elevate your experience to a higher level rather than bringing the Scriptures down to match what it is that you are experiencing. Are you with me? Okay. And so this is a classic example of this. When it says He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. All right. So I'll, let me just put the, the, um, the key up here. Okay. Born equals carried, griefs equals sicknesses, and sorrows equals pains. Okay? And by sicknesses, we literally, it literally means physical sicknesses, diseases, diagnoses of, 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 of every kind. All right? Now let's keep going. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. When we get to spirit, soul, and body, one of the things that we will emphasize over and over again is that what Jesus did for you and me on the cross, he did for you, spirit, soul, and body. Salvation is the total package. What Jesus uh, dealt with and bore on the cross for you and for me as our substitute, He did so that we could be whole and new uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, socially, financially. How about this one? He became poor so that you could become rich. And again, that doesn't mean like rich in friends. Okay? Okay. <laughs> You follow what I'm saying by the, you know, well, rich doesn't really mean rich financially. Yes, it absolutely positively does mean rich financially. Now, you, you don't have to believe it or accept it, but, you know, you say, well, Pastor Mark, I, you know, rich financially is here and I'm somewhere down here. Well, then start believing that Jesus became poor so that you could become rich. He became a curse for you. 
so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon you. Do you know what the blessing of Abraham on Abraham did? The Bible says it made him so rich that he didn't know, he didn't know how much money he had. Okay? And so poverty is a curse. Sickness is a curse. Are you following me? It's part of the curse. Jesus came under that curse with us, became a curse for us. He lifted that curse off of us and he carried it away so that the blessing of Abraham could now come upon the non-biological descendants of Abraham. So what we find in Galatians. Okay? So he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. So notice transgressions and iniquities, these are things that he was punished for directly referring to our sin, your sin, my sin. And iniquity is... Um, one of the vilest forms of sin is because an iniquity is when you absolutely know it's wrong and you do it anyway. Compare that to a trespass. A trespass would be you swerved over into, you know, you're out deer hunting and you, there was no property line. And next thing you know, you're on somebody else's property and killed a deer. I mean, you still have done something wrong, but you didn't intentionally do it. Okay. Well, a trespass is one thing. A transgression is another. An iniquity is when you absolutely know it's wrong and you just keep on doing it. And notice Jesus was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace. Peace now, notice we just shifted over into the emotional realm. Amen? Peace is the, is, is the uh, what's the right word here, the gold standard of, of, of emotional well-being. That, that we would have and live in peace. And Jesus was, was chastised. He was punished. So, you know, so that for our peace, so that we could have peace by his stripes, we are healed again, physical healing. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us. We have turned everyone, every one of us, no exception to his own way. Words, we all did our own thing, how we wanted to do it, made our lives up as we went along, ignoring what God had for us and what he desired for us. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Okay, now let me give you a key here. Key here, wounded in the Hebrew means pierced through. Bruised equals crushed. They hit him in the head. They put thorns on his head and then hit him with a stick. They punched him. Stripes equals blows that cut in. Blows that cut in. We know that the whip that Jesus was bit, beaten with was a, was a Roman whip. It had nine uh, lashes coming out of one handle, and it was uh, braided uh, leather, and they braided into that leather bits of, of, of glass and, and uh, stone uh, so that when the whip would hit him and they would drag it across his back, it would literally be blows that cut in. Okay, Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? If you underline things in your Bible, who will declare his generation? We'll come back to it in just a moment. That's a very, very important question. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Well, if you know the story, Joseph of Arimathea was a very wealthy man. He just had a brand new tomb hewn out of the rock. No one had ever been buried in it. And Jesus was uh, buried in that tomb. Okay. But he died between two thieves. So all this, again, the accuracy of it is fascinating. Okay. Um, 
but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, this is where you have to shift from intellect only to heart understanding by faith. Okay? Because on one hand, you know, you have the opinion that he got what he deserved because, you know, God is punishing him for making the claims that he made and for doing the things that he did and the way that he did them. All right? That's wrong. But it's not wrong to say that it pleased God the Father for Jesus to do what he did. Because when Jesus did what he did uh, for you and me and as you and me, it allowed Father to remain a just God while at the same time bringing justification to you and me. See, Father couldn't just pretend like we didn't sin. That would be unjust. He is a just God. He is holy, holy, holy. And so he, we've sinned, and, and, and the soul that sins shall die. Except for God didn't want us to die. He wanted us to live because He loves us. Amen? So what did He do in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, He created a sacrificial system where an animal could die in your place. But the blood of a, of a bull or a goat could only temporarily cover sin. God wanted a more permanent solution. And that more permanent solution involved Jesus coming, who had never, ever did anything wrong. As I say it this way, uh, Holy Spirit showed me to say it this way, okay? God had to find somebody who was more undeserving of death and punishment than all of us combined were deserving of it. And there's only one person who filled that bill. That was the only begotten Son of God. Amen. So Jesus was made your sin. He became your sin. Your sin, if you've been born again, listen to me now. If you've been born again, your sin's already been judged and punished. Amen. And not just in part, but in, but in whole. And I'll show you all that in Hebrews in the days ahead. Okay. But this is what he's talking about here. So there is an element of this that did please Father God. But now keep in mind, you know, before any of this, we have the luxury of looking back on it and seeing how it lines up with the prophecy, and go, okay, now it makes sense to me, okay. But these folks looking ahead were like, well, how could it, how could it be both at the same time? And, of course, we see that, that it was not both, but the sense that um, it, Father God was pleased by Jesus' willingness to do what he did for you and for me. Can somebody say amen if you understand what I'm saying on that? Okay, all right. Now, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. I, I, I've, I've said this enough times now in my life that I can, I can say it usually now without getting choked up, okay? Um, when Jesus was made your sin and my sin, the Bible's very clear. Father God turned his back on him. If you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, we, we look at, at the physical suffering that Jesus endured, and that in and of itself is, is unimaginable. It's horrible. Okay? But that was not the worst part of his, of his Friday afternoon. It wasn't really a Friday. It was a, it, was a, it was a Thursday, if you do the math right. But the afternoon that he was crucified. Okay, The worst part of it was knowing 
that when he became your sin and my sin, that for the first time in all of eternity, remember that longevity thing we mentioned earlier? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have, had been uh, an eternal community of oneness uh, forever. Uh, never had there ever been a time when they were apart or separated. Okay? And even while Jesus was on the earth, the Father was in him and he was in the Father. But when he became your sin and my sin, he was literally separated from the Trinity, okay, so that you and I could be brought back into oneness with God. This is, again, what's involved here, we'll spend two or three classes. We'll spend four to six hours on this when the time comes. It's just in me right now and on me right now to talk about it a little more than I normally do at this point. But praise God. Amen. I'm telling you what he's done for you. Okay. This is what the father, this is what the father spoke to me. Right? He said the hardest thing that he has ever done was turning his back on Jesus. And he said he did it. He turned his back on Jesus. And this is how he did it. Are you ready? He did it knowing that if he turned his back on Jesus that afternoon, he would never have to turn his back on one of his children ever again. So he chose to turn his back on Jesus so that he would never have to turn his back on you. There's a lot going on here. Praise God. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. You make a soul an offering for sin. You make a soul an offering for sin. But notice now, it, it changes. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Justified means to be made righteous. Or here's my favorite way of saying justification. You ready? Just as if I'd never sinned. When you were born again, your sins weren't just covered up. They were taken away. Right? And you were made a new, create, a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so when Father God looks at you right now as a born again man or woman, He doesn't see a forgiven sinner. He sees someone who has never sinned. Do you see why he blesses us and rewards us? I like to say it this way. Jesus took the blame and punishment for everything you ever have or ever will do wrong and turned around and gave you the credit and the reward for everything he ever has and ever will do right. Man, what's been done for us? By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Thank God that he did it. Amen? Now... I want to pull out a couple of verses here. Verse number 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. <clears throat> Let me try to paraphrase this for you so you'll get the, the broader meaning of what he's saying here. Okay. When he says, who will declare his generation? For these people in their day, okay, the fate worse than death 
the fate worse than death was for uh, uh, a man to, to uh, die, okay, and not have anyone to carry on the family name, okay? Well, we know that Jesus had no children. He did not marry. He had no physical, biological children. And so what, what he's saying here is, on top of all of this, on top of all these things this man suffered, he's going to have died without leaving anyone to carry on his mission, to carry on his name, to carry on what it is that he was here on this earth to do. Okay? Now, verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you made his soul an offering for sin... But now look, notice this. He shall see his seed. Well, seed's talking about offspring here. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. All right, what's the key to unlock this? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10. Are you ready? Speaking of you tonight, but you, personalize it now. He's talking about you. He's not talking about pastor down the road. He's not talking about some superstar evangelist or some television preacher. He's talking about every born again man or woman. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy do you understand in light of what we just looked at in Exodus and Isaiah the, the, the communication the truth rather that's being communicated through this verse let's go back to it do you remember Father God's plan was what he wanted a nation of priests but Israel said no the one thing you've got to understand about your Heavenly Father is that if He ever makes up His mind to do something, it doesn't matter how much it costs or how long it takes, He will see it through to completion. Amen. And Father God has always wanted a nation of priests on planet earth, and He now has a nation of priests on planet earth. As a born-again man or woman, notice you are a chosen generation. We'll come back to that one. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. Remember what He said, you'll be a special treasure to me above all other people. Now as born-again men or women, we, we were not a people, but we are now the people of God. We had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. Because what? He has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So he says you are also a chosen generation. What does this mean? It means that you are generation Christ. What does that mean? He says that Jesus is going to die before having any children to carry on his mission or to carry on his name. But now who, who has his name in them? His name is now in us, right? And, and, and notice what he says here. Um, let's put verse 10 back up. Um, <clears throat> He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Listen to me now. We are not Jesus' children. Jesus is the seed from which we were born. 
God is our Father. Jesus is our elder brother. He is no longer the only begotten Son of God. He is the firstborn among many brethren. Amen? But because we have been born of His seed, we also see now that we have become one with Him and that He is the head and we are individual members and collectively the body of Christ in the earth. So we see now that the pleasure of God is prospering in our hands. Are you seeing, are you seeing the heart of God in all of this? Are you seeing what, what it is that God desires for you and me? And do you see how serving God and ministry has everything to do with this? It's, as far as God's concerned, it's not an optional thing. But it's, it, is, it is a key thing. We, we are, remember what Jesus said, i got to be about my Father's business. We've been brought into the family business. What's that, business, what's that business involved in? That business is involved in setting the captives free. That, that business is involved in, in recovering sight to the blind. That, that business is, is uh, laying hands on the sick and the sick recovering. That business is casting out devils and demons. We're in the family business. This is what Jesus did. And because we are now generation Christ, right? We see that his assignment didn't end with him. His purpose and mission didn't end uh, when, when he breathed his last. But it continues now through you and me. And, and, and the pleasure of God that prospered in the hands of Jesus when he was on this earth as a man now is prospering in your hands and in mine. Come on now. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. King, priest, and prophet. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had obtained mercy, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So again, you are generation Christ. Revelation chapter 1. I got some more verses. Amen. Revelation 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Wow. Mm -mm -mm. Now, what are we seeing from some of this? Well, first of all, we need to see this from God's perspective. Remember I told you last week that he's forgiven your iniquities for his name's sake. Amen. He didn't just do it for you. He did it for himself because he has plans and purposes for you and me. Purpose and grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Sin separated us from ever being able to uh, fulfill uh, and, and, and accomplish the good works that he saw you doing uh, in Christ Jesus before time began. And so all of this is part of, of, a, of a vast plan. And, and, and you see, now, now there's one thing, though, that we've got to get straight. And let me make sure I say this loud and clear, okay? Loud and clear. This was not God's effort to get you to, you know, it's like, well, we're going we're gonna to get some cheap labor here. No, see, remember... Which came first, you or your purpose? 
Your purpose came first. You were created in light of that purpose, which means the sweet spot of life for you is going to be finding and fulfilling that purpose. You will never be more fulfilled. You will, you will never be more satisfied. You will never be more content on planet earth than when you find and fulfill the purpose for which God created you and put you on this earth to, to accomplish. Are you hearing me? See, again, this, we, we tend to look at this like, well, you know, I mean, God did all this because he's just trying to put me to work. No, see, again, it's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Do you see the difference in all of that, right? The, the fulfillment and the satisfaction uh, in these things is uh, literally otherworldly. And, and when we tap into the authority that we were created to live. See, li- listen, the, the one thing I know about everybody, right, is, is we, we, we want to be in control, right? And obviously that desire can, can be perverted and, and used against us. But let me tell you the reason you want to be in control. It's because you were created to be in control. You were created to have authority. You were created to have dominion, rule in your domain. Amen. Amen. But see, separated from God, people try to you know, achieve that through violence and greed and all these other things and, and, and subjugate other people and people groups. That's not, that's not God. That's not God's way. Amen. But nonetheless, you want to be in control because you were created to be, uh, to have dominion, to have authority. But we'll, we'll never find it outside of our relationship with God. Amen. All right, now, praise God. <clears throat> let's, um, <laughs> let's do this. Let's, we, we, I say we're going to shift gears. <clears throat> I understand now that it didn't originate. Um, with Bryce Young, but the first time I had ever heard this, I heard him tell the story. Okay, um, and he talks about he he mentioned this in his Heisman Trophy acceptance speech. I believe that's when I heard him say this. But anyway, um, he came home bragging to his dad that he was the best basketball player at the gym where he played basketball. And rather than his dad being impressed, his dad told him, son, you need to find another gym. Right? In other words, he, he needed to be around people who challenged him and, and people who were better than him uh, so that uh, a demand would be placed upon his potential to improve. Okay, yes? You follow what I'm saying? Um, years ago, I played uh, racquetball every morning with a guy who was about as good as me. I mean, when I, when I say that, um, you know, if we played five games, I may beat him three, he may beat me two, or vice versa. Well, our schedules changed, and he started playing with somebody who was way better than him. And if they played five games, this guy was going to, like, maybe one of those five games just let it, like, on purpose, let it at least be close, but he wasn't going to win any of them. I started playing with somebody that I was better than and maybe beat them four out of five games. Well, we, this went on for a couple of months, and it worked out to where we could play again. He demolished me. Now, going into that, you know, I'm thinking, man, I've been winning. I, you know, I've gotten so much better, you know. He came into that like, man, Mike's been 
you know, he played with Mike Files. He said, Mike, he said, Mike's, he said, he, uh, you know, he wasn't expect. you see what I'm saying? But when we actually got on the court, he was way better than me, even though he didn't feel like that at the, at the moment because of what he had been experiencing. But notice the difference now. We tend to play up or down to our competition. So what, what does that have to do with all this, right? Well, <clears throat> maybe some of the things I'm saying, you're going, oh, Pastor Mark, I, you know, laying hands on the sick, I'm not there yet. Well, is it on your radar now? If it wasn't on your radar before and it's on your radar now, then we're one step closer. Do you follow what I mean by that? Um, the Bible says in the last days that people will <coughs> seek out teachers who tickle their ears, which simply means just tell them what they want to hear. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? I'm, I have to be careful here because I'm, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not upset with anybody. I'm not mad at anybody or whatever. But, you know, always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. I do not want that to be us. But yet the Bible says in the last days there will be groups of people who are always learning, but they're never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Well, that has to do with, I think, how they're taught and what they're taught, but it also has to do with how they respond to what they're being taught. Remember, the difference is in the doing. Jesus didn't say, just hear these sayings of mine and you'll be fine. He said, the one who hears these sayings of mine and does them, when the rain comes and the wind blows and the floods rise, you're going to be all right compared to the guy who heard the sayings of mine and did nothing. So my desire is to, is to stretch you. I'm not here just to tell you what you've already heard. Okay? But for us to grow and hear and learn together. The Bible says that we're growing up into Jesus in all things. Paul says that we are now stretching and reaching to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. Before Jesus got a hold of you and me, amen, before we surrendered to Him and let Him have us, okay, before He got a hold of you and me, there were all kinds of things that were our purpose and destiny, but were out of reach. I used the example of when my son was little, he was wanting to, you know, shoot the basketball into the hoop, but he couldn't get it halfway up there until I picked him up and held him up. Now, because I have a hold of him, there are things that are in reach for him that were previously out of reach. Now that Jesus is in you, Christ in you, the confident expectation of realizing the glory of God in your everyday life, amen, because he is in you and because he has you, there are things that were out of reach for you that are well within reach for you now. Nobody may have told you this, but they're, they're there for you. Again, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You say, well, what, do those works look, what do those works look like? As my friend Don Ballard says, look at the picture on the box. Jesus, on this earth as a man, that's what the good works look like. That's why Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do also, and even greater works than these. Now, I think I've said that verse, John 14, 12. I think I've mentioned that verse every class so far. And if the Holy Spirit leads me to do it, I'll say it three times next, next class. Amen. He said, Pastor Mark, that just seems so extreme. Again, don't you say, well, that, that verse, you know, that verse can't mean that because I'm not doing the works that Jesus did. What are you trying to do? You're trying to bring the verse down to match your experience. Do not do that. Let that verse bring your experience up to its level. We're growing up into these things. Now, in the Scriptures, we see um, three 
stages of growth. And these stages of growth are, um, you know, spiritual growth, so to speak, uh, but they, they mirror um, physical growth. And I apologize for the typo there on babies, okay, this IES, all right. Um, but uh, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. We see, first of all, the, Bi the Bible speaks of those who are as spiritual infants or spiritual babies. And we see, among other things, that one who is as a spiritual babe is they're totally dependent upon others to prepare and feed them their food. Okay? One who is as a spiritual child, and we see that word used not just for physical growth and development, but also for spiritual growth and development. And we see one of the things that, that characterizes one who is as a child, they need someone to help prepare their food, but they can at least feed themselves or put it in their mouths. My, my uh, youngest grandson turned one yesterday, and, um, and he can put food in his mouth now. He can even hold the bottle. Okay, You don't have to hold it for him anymore. But an adult, and again, the Bible uses that, that word, one who is as a spiritual adult, one who is spiritually mature. Um, in the King James Version, you're going to see the word perfect and perfected a lot. And that means fully developed, fully matured, okay? This is someone who can uh, prepare a meal and feed it to others. All right? So, again, kind of think for a moment. There's other characteristics, and I'm not trying to... Uh, um, what's the right word here? I'm not trying to... No condemnation here, amen? Um, we are where we are, but we're moving on up, Amen? So, again, don't, you don't have to write it down. Just think to yourself, you know, where, where are you on, on this spectrum? You know, are you completely dependent upon somebody else to prepare a spiritual meal for you and feed it to you? Um, can you, uh, you know, feed yourself if somebody will kind of give you a point you in the right direction, so to speak? Uh, but ultimately what Father God is, is, is in need of are people who can prepare a spiritual, a spiritual meal, so to speak, and feed it to other folks. So what we're talking about now is growth and development. When, when we say, um, do the works that Jesus did and even greater works because He goes to His Father, um, we're all in Christ, but we're now growing up into that experience. That may seem to be over your head right now, Okay. But keep watering it, keep growing it, keep confessing it, keep believing it, keep meditating on it, keep muttering it to yourself till it, till it becomes real on the inside of you and then begins to work its way out of you. But I bring up these three stages of, of growth in light of our subject, which our subject is every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. And it's very sad to me that so many people in the body of Christ seem to have no interest in ministering to and serving others because ministering to others is necessary for spiritual growth and development. Now, what do I mean by that? How, how far can you grow in every area of your life if it's only about you? Right? If it's, if it's only about you, that's going to keep you in a, in a state of immaturity, emotionally, mentally, uh, physically, uh, developmentally. 
In other words, at some point, we have to begin to take on the responsibilities of, of helping and doing and ministering to other people. And, and there are certain areas. Uh, I, I have a friend, and I, I, um, I, uh, I love him and his wife, and I don't want to embarrass him. And I, maybe some of you will kind of put two and two together when I, when I say this. Some of you at Heritage, this brother came to Heritage for a long time. He doesn't any, any longer love him, talk to him all the time. Um, uh, but he uh, adopted not too long ago. He adopted a child. Uh, he he'd never had a child. He adopted a child. And adopting that child has done more for him developing as a human being than anything I've ever seen or known him. And he's a good guy. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying his name. I wouldn't want to hurt his feelings. But we've, we've had this conversation, you know, privately, personally. What facilitated all this growth and development and maturity in his life? Taking on the responsibility of caring for and providing for and serving Someone else. Are you seeing this? See, when we take the position that, you know, I'm, I'm going to come to church for what it means to me. I'm going to come to church for what I can get out of it. I'm going to come to church because of how it helps me. Me, 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 right? Well, listen, God wants to minister to you. He wants to help you. He wants to be a blessing to you. But when we talk about growth and development, you can only grow so far there's going to be a ceiling, there's going to be a cap, there's going to be a limit to how far you can grow if you never shift over into ministering to other people and caring for and serving them. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? I think, I think that, that, that's pretty obvious, okay? Now, we mentioned this earlier, but we've been saved for a purpose. Our, our salvation uh, has... Uh, a purpose behind it. And really, if, if we wanted to, to, to be more accurate, we could say purposes, because the purposes that God has for us are, are multiple, and, and they're different, and, and, and they're varied. You know, one of the main purposes for your existence is fellowship with God. If you, if you, you know, remember we talked about um, discipleship being about ministry in, in the first class, Paul talked about his walk with God and his ministry, effective ministry, as an extension of um, your daily walk with God. In other words, the, the, the stronger your personal relationship and fellowship with the Lord uh, is, um, the more effective you're going to be in what you do for Him. And, and of course, uh, you know, the, the more rapid you're going to grow and develop in uh, the things of God. Um, I believe fellowship with God is your number one purpose for existence and that all the other purposes are not only secondary to it, but dependent upon it. In other words, the, the, the more you fellowship with God, your purpose for ministry, your purpose for service becomes effective and effective extension of that fellowship with God. We got enough folks standing in pulpits who don't know God trying to minister for God. And they come up with all kinds of crazy things that, that aren't God at all. So far too many people view their salvation as the end of a journey instead of as the beginning of one. Some only view the purpose for their salvation as a means to get into heaven when they die as opposed to... Um, and opening into the ability to fulfill 
the purpose for which they exist. So John chapter 17. We'll push on through a few more. Y'all good? You okay? John chapter 17. We've referred to this or different portions of this. Um, if you're not familiar with John 17, let me come back on camera for a moment. If you're not familiar with John 17, before you go to bed tonight or whatever, take, take a, it's a fairly lengthy chapter, but, but what we have in John chapter 17 is a recording of Jesus praying. We know that Jesus was a man of much prayer. And of course, we know that when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he gave us the model prayer, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we know that Jesus instructed at different times in his ministry for his disciples to pray for and about certain things. But what we have in John 17 is, uh, re you know, recorded and preserved and presented to you and me by the Holy Spirit is an actual prayer session or prayer time. And Jesus prays for himself first. People ask me sometimes, Pastor, is it okay if I pray for myself? Jesus did. He prayed for himself, okay? Then he prayed for those who were the closest to him. And then he prayed for all those that would be affected and influenced and impacted by um, their ministry, okay? And so it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter, one of my favorite chapters in the Word of God. So verse 14, Jesus speaking, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, from this passage, we uh, uh, derive this statement. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We're in the world, but we are not of the world. We're here, but we are born from above. We are <clears throat> here, we can say it this way, we're on planet earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. As a matter of fact, the Bible specifically states that we are citizens of heaven, and the Bible specifically states that we are ambassadors now for our native land, representing our king and his interests here on the earth. So we are in the world, but we are not of the world. In the same way that Jesus was here, but he wasn't from here. Amen? You ever, you ever talk to somebody and they, maybe they have a different accent or something like that, and it's like you think to yourself or maybe even say, you're not from around here, are you? You know, It's because they have a different way of looking at things or, or what have you. Well, Jesus wasn't from around there. Amen? He, he was from heaven. He was born from above. And, and, and in the same way, we're here... Uh, uh, in this world, but we're not of this world. Now, this verse we've looked at once before. Again, the next verse is verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Verse 23, he's, he's continuing to pray to his father. He says, Father, um, I'm in them and you're in me that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Amen. Amen. So our uh, tagline here at the church is taken from that verse, so the world may know. Amen. So the world may know. Praise God. And <clears throat> somebody, this didn't originate with me. Um, 
but I certainly have adopted it, okay? We, we could kind of sum up our life and existence, you know, by simply saying it this way, to know Him and to make Him known. Amen. To know Him. I, I live to know Him, and then the more I know Him, the better position I'm in to make Him known in this world. Now, some people in the body of Christ want to be like the world. Never understood that. Trying to be like the world that we're supposed to be trying to change. Okay. Some in the body of Christ want to be like the world, while others are only interested in escaping the world. Just got to get out of here. Just hold on to the end. But Jesus, He left us here. Remember, He prayed to His Father. He said, Father, don't, don't take them from the world. Just protect them while they're in the world because they're not of the world. Why did He leave us here? He left us here to change the world. Amen? Amen. He left us here to change the world. Now, if you said that God or Jesus is this world's only hope, you would be accurate, okay? But I think we also have to consider that it's, it's more personal than that because we are His hands and feet. We are the body of Christ. The local church, <laughs> come on now. I don't mean the religious institution, traditional religious organized institution. I'm talking about the body of Christ. It's the hope of this world. Amen? I believe COVID, as much as it impacted and affected and still is impacting and affected, I believe the number one target of COVID was the church. It was the devil trying to diminish God's people and discourage God's people and, and, uh, and all these things. He is, he is, the devil is terrified. As a matter of fact, we see it in the scriptures that he actually regrets killing Jesus. Not because Jesus was raised from the dead, but because when Jesus was raised from the dead, you and I were raised up together with him to newness of life. And it put the glory of God back inside a human being on planet earth. And the Bible's very clear that if Satan had to do it all over again, he'd have never laid a finger on Jesus. Because of the vast difference it's made in our lives. A difference that... You know, I'm not sure a lot of people even understand the half of, but yet it's very real. Amen. All right. Um, I think that's probably a good stopping point for this evening. Are you getting anything out of this? I got, I got kind of stirred up tonight. I hope I uh, wasn't coming on too strong. Um, will you do me, a, will you do, I say, I, I say do me a favor, and that's really a silly way of saying it, okay? Um, will you honor God, your creator, Father? And his son who suffered so much on your behalf, would you honor them by taking what we've talked about tonight before them? Ask them what they would have you to do. Ask them what it is that, you know, where can you be involved in serving and ministering to other people? Um, if it's just giving a cup of cold water, some of you know John Smith, he's a counselor at the Foundry Farm. When John first came to the Foundry, um, and I, I've seen a lot of people come to the Foundry, but I 
I've never seen anybody come to the foundry that was in the shape that John was in. Um, he, he was so mad and hateful that um, his counselor is in heaven now. His name's Hiawatha Sheffield. Hiawatha's nickname was the Apostle of Love. But Hiawatha told me, he said, Pastor Mark, I don't, I don't see John being here much longer. I don't see how it's going to ever happen. You know, what, you know what changed John forever? He was sitting separated from all the men uh, in, in the foundry, you know, other people that were there. Nobody wanted to be around him. And um, somebody took a bottle of water. He didn't have nothing when he got here. His church in Louisiana dropped him off, okay? Somebody, they literally, they didn't get close to him. They set a bottle of water in front of him and walked off. And he was about ready to, like, throw the bottle of water against the walls. Like, who's this idiot giving me water, you know? But something in that touched his heart. So these people don't know me. You know, he knew that water came from somewhere. I know it sounds so silly, but somebody giving him a bottle of water was the beginning of one of the more significant and radical life changes I've ever had the front row seat to watch. So we talk about laying hands on the sick and all that stuff, man. Yes, that's for you. But there's all kinds of things that you can do to get out beyond yourself and, and serve and minister to somebody else. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for life and peace tonight. Let everything we touch prosper for your glory. Father, I thank you for revealing yourself to these precious men and women, Father, in, in personal and meaningful ways. Thank you, Father, that you are uh, raising dreams up, Lord, that seemed uh, to be dead in their lives. Things, Father, that, that you spoke to some of them, Lord, when they were very young uh, about things that you would have them do with their lives. And, Lord, the devils lied and told them that those, that those days have passed and that ship sailed and they'll never be able to do any of those things. Father, the devil's such a liar. You're the restorer of all things, Father, and certainly you've restored us to purpose and destiny. And I thank you, Lord, that, that you are showing us how to uh, participate in serving others uh, so that we might uh, continue to grow and develop growing up into Jesus in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, you're loved. Everybody's told you that. Thank you again for being here this evening. You have a blessed...